Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Congratulations, true crime addicts. We've survived another week. It's Friday, May 12th, 2023. On tonight's show, Death by Moscow Mule. And a uh, body of a tech CEO has been found in Santa Monica. And Brian Laundrie's parents are still the worst. Stay tuned. Yes. Super excited. We are all pumped to have James Renner. James Renner. James Renner has zeroed in. James Renner is once again drops a bombshell. Investigative journalist reporter James Renner, who's been on the podcast a long time. All right. Thanks for joining me tonight. Hey, uh, just a real quick, um, you know, for your information, I will be appearing at True Crime Fest Northwest Arkansas uh, next week, next Friday uh, and Saturday. I'll be there all day Saturday. I'm giving a little a little talk about how to how to write true crime on Saturday. Uh, so if you're in that region, check out True Crime Fest NWA. Come on down, say hi, bring some candy. Uh, I, I'm very gullible. I'll take whatever you got. Uh, but yeah, uh, check it out online. True Crime Fest NWA. Let's get to the top stories. Uh, 33-year-old Utah mother Corey Richens was arrested on Monday and charged with the murder of her husband, Eric. According to NBC News, this story has it all. Here we go. Eric was found dead of a fentanyl overdose in his bedroom of their home on March 4th of, of 2022. Now at first glance, this, this is just another victim of the opioid epidemic. It happens every day, these fentanyl overdoses. That's what, appeared, that's what it appeared to be at first. But after his death, Eric's relatives and friends went to the police and said, hey, please look at his wife, Corey. Um, they said that before his death, Eric went to them and said, hey, look, if I die, it's Corey, you know, so please, you know, in the event of my death, go to police. And so they did. It turns out Eric had gotten sick a couple times after Corey had given him some food or, or drink. This began a couple years ago when they went to uh, Greece on a, on a trip. One night, Corey handed Eric a drink, which he downed immediately, like you do in Greece on vacation. He got immediately violently ill. And he calls his sister and says, hey, I think I've been poisoned. I just want you to know what's going on. But then he recovered. 
Then, flash forward to Valentine's Day 2022, just last year, Corey made him a, a sandwich, you know, for Valentine's Day. He ate it, and then he broke out into hives and couldn't breathe. He used his son's EpiPen at the last moment before passing out, and he recovered from that. Now, at the time of his death last year, he was looking into getting a divorce from Corey. He was so convinced that his wife was trying to kill him that he uh, changed his life insurance policy that so, so that she was no longer the beneficiary. Now, it's, it's likely she didn't know he did that, by the way. On the surface, you know, in the community they were from, it looked like they had the perfect marriage. Uh, Eric was a popular soccer coach and baseball coach, basketball coach. He, you know, he did everything for his kids, but nobody knew what was going, be going on behind closed doors. The last thing that happened before Eric died of the overdose was Corey brought him a Moscow mule in bed. Nice gesture, right? You know, although by this time he's so convinced she's poisoning him, I, I don't know that I would have taken that Moscow mule. By the way, Moscow mules have to be the worst, the absolute worst fad in, uh, in drinking. Um, I, I just, I hate anything with ginger in it. I don't, I wouldn't do that. And you're drinking out of a copper kettle. You're asking for, anyways, like a day after Eric died, by the way, Corey threw a party to celebrate buying a new home that she was going to flip. So uh, after his death, Eric's relatives said, hey, you better look into Corey. They discovered, the police that is, discovered that Corey had deleted several text messages the night of his death. And this week, according to court records, police have allegedly recovered some texts that show Corey reached out to an acquaintance to buy drugs. She asked for, quote, some of the Michael Jackson stuff meaning propofol, which was in his system when he, when he overdosed and died. Couldn't get that, but the dealer could get fentanyl, which was in his system. Corey allegedly received the drugs before Eric got sick on Valentine's Day. When that didn't work, she texted this acquaintance again and said, I need some more of that fentanyl. Then Eric dies of fentanyl overdose. So pretty cut and dry, I think. This is a pretty solid case. One more bizarre twist to this case, by the way, BTW. After Eric died, Corey authored a children's book about how to process grief after losing a parent. This book was called Are You With Me? and shows, you know, here's the cover, creepy little, you know, almost like Christian cover. He's looking from the clouds. Uh, she dedicated that book to Eric. That's cold. That's colder than cold. It's ice cold. Uh, that's just bizarre. So check out that case. It's developing. Next story. Here's our weekly reminder that in America right now, we'd rather have fewer children than fewer guns. Last Saturday afternoon, a gunman opened fire at a mall in Allen, Texas, killing nine people, including several children, one as young as three. The shooter was 33-year-old Mauricio Martinez Garcia, who, despite the name, was in love with the white power movement and had, had tattoos of 
SS lightning bolts, Nazi stuff, and a swastika. Garcia had several different guns, but seemed to favor the classic AR-15 AR style rifle, the weapon of choice for school shooters in the U.S. All these guns were purchased legally, even though the army had booted him out three months after three months due to mental health concerns. He was still able to purchase those guns in Texas. During the attack, Garcia wore a tactical vest with a patch that read RWDS, which stands for Right Wing Death Squad, a conservative group of incels with very small penises. A man named Steven Spainhauer was one of the first people on the scene. When interviewed by CBS News, Spainhauer said, quote, the first girl I walked up to was crouched down, covering her head in the bushes. So I felt for her pulse, pulled her head to the side, and she had no face. In response, Democrats within the Texas legislature, along with two Republicans, have advanced a bill to raise the age to buy AR-15 style rifles from 18 to 21. However, the bill is expected to fail when it reaches the Senate. State Republicans are hoping thoughts and prayers will magically stop this from happening again. I'll see you next week. Final top story of this week, a body found in the courtyard of an abandoned property in Santa Monica has been identified this week and found to be that of 39-year-old Bo Mann, who disappeared on November 30th, 2021. Mann was the founder and CEO of SoberGrid, which is an app that connects addicts with sober help in their areas. A very, very important app. He was last seen outside a 7-Eleven on Ventura Boulevard. He called an Uber, but during that ride, he texted 911. The police received the text and answered it, but did not get a response. So you think, gotta be the Uber driver, right? Well, the Uber driver was apparently interviewed and cleared by police, and Uber says that the driver immediately picked up another rider after dropping, dropping man off near where his body was found. So what the hell happened there? Since his disappearance, man's fiance, Jason Abate, has been leading a charge for justice on social media. He kept the case in the news, kept it alive. Good for him. He says they had planned to marry and adopt children. So many questions about this one. Such a weird case. First of all, he's found in the courtyard of an abandoned property in Santa Monica. Now, Santa Monica is one of those zip codes in America that, like, it's weird to think that there's any abandoned properties there. People are, are falling over themselves to get property in Santa Monica. So that's weird. It's, there can't be many of those, right? Also, why did he text 911? But nobody else. Why didn't he text Jason if something was going wrong? It's a weird move. Um, he's, he's also the CEO of the SoberGrid app. I don't know a lot about his history. It suggests to me that maybe he has some addiction problems of his own. Was that involved here? This is just, you know, pure conjecture. But it's such a weird, I, you know, those are the cases that interest me the most, that have all these 
circumstantial clues that seem to go nowhere, but also seem to tell a story. So I have a hunch we'll be learning more about this mystery in the weeks to come. So check it out. Bow Man has been found. Those are the top stories for this week. I'm going to be right back with some cold case updates and pop culture and weird news, including updates in the Gabby Petito case, some news about Natalie Holloway, and Elizabeth Holmes combs her hair. I'll be back in two and two. Please hang up and try again. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash acast and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash acast. Hi, I'm Alexa Doubt with The Porchlight Project, a new nonprofit dedicated to funding DNA testing and genetic genealogy for cold cases in the state of Ohio. For our first case, we assisted the Cuyahoga Falls Police Department funding new DNA tests on evidence from the 1987 unsolved murder of 17-year-old Barbara Blatnick. That information was given to expert genealogists who traced the genetic markers to a man named James Zastonic, who was arrested in May of 2020 and charged with Barb's murder. Our goal at the Porchlight Project is to entirely fund three to four cold case investigations every year. Each new case costs about $6,000 to complete, which is a small price to pay for closure. The Porchlight Project relies on generous donations from the public. Even $5 can help us solve a murder. For more information on how to help, please visit porchlightonline.org. And welcome back to The Great American Dream Machine, starring Marshall Efron. Here's a little update in the Gabby Petito fallout. Gabby's parents have asked a court this week to compel Brian Laundrie's mother to turn over a letter she wrote to her son, according to People.com. In the letter, Roberta Laundrie allegedly writes to her son that if he ends up in prison, she'll send him a cake with a shiv inside of it. Now, I think she probably meant, what she probably meant there was a file, something to cut the bars of the cell so he can ex escape. 
because a shiv is what's used to like stab and kill other inmates, and I don't think that would help them much. Um, anyways, the Petitos are suing the laundries for intentional infliction of emotional distress. They allege that the laundries helped their son Brian conceal the murder of their daughter, Gabby. Brian took his own life b before police could arrest him because he's a punk like that. Last Thursday, moving on, next story. Last Thursday, Fort Worth police confirmed that Melanie Mayoko was Melissa Highsmith all along. Here's the story. Melissa Highsmith was abducted from her parents' home in Fort Worth in 1971 when she was just 21 months old, according to The Independent. Now, a woman posing as a babysitter took her and disappeared. This was the longest-running missing persons case in the United States history. Highsmith's family tracked her down after hiring a genealogist to try to locate her through 23andMe. Wasn't the police that did this, this was the family that found her. Turns out she'd been living only 10 minutes away all this time under the name, uh, uh, I'm sorry, Melanie Mayoko. She now goes by the name Melanie Brown because she's gotten married. Now DNA tests by police last week confirms her identity. Here's the weird part. The statutes of limitations has run out on kidnapping. So even if they find, and they're, they're looking for the woman that abducted her back in 1971, the reason it's, it's been hard for them to find her is that Melissa, aka Melanie, actually ran away from the woman who took her at age 15. Apparently she was an abusive mother. I don't know why you would go through the extent of kidnapping a child just to abuse them later, but that's apparently what happened. And she escaped when she was 15 and has been living on her own until she got married. What a story. So statutes of limitations have run out. All they know is this woman went by the name Ruth Johnson. They're looking for her. She raised Melissa as Melanie until the age of 15. Now, thank God, her parents, this woman's parents, are still alive. They didn't die. That was my first thought. I'm like, oh my God, they, they died thinking their, their daughter was still missing. No, they're still alive. And in fact, here's, here's a nice little cherry on top of the story. Uh, Melissa plans to remarry her husband so her father her real father can walk her down the aisle. I love that story. Remember Jorn Vandersloot? He's about to be ex extradited to the United States to face extortion and fraud charges, according to CNN. Uh, if that name sounds familiar, you do know him if you're into true crime. Jorn Vandersloot, uh, first of all, he looks like Bill Hader's unattractive younger brother. He's the guy that was last seen with Natalie Holloway the night she went missing in Aruba back in 2005. Has it really been that long? Yes, it has. Natalie Holloway, uh, she had just graduated high school. She was there with her friends celebrating and disappeared. Vandersloot is currently serving a 28-year prison sentence in Peru for the 2012 murder of Stephanie Flores, if you remember that story. So what's the fraud? 
that he's being extradited for? Well, apparently he told Natalie's mother that he would show her where he left Natalie's body in exchange for a quarter of a million dollars. She wired $15,000 to a bank account in the Netherlands that he had control over, and Natalie's mother's lawyer gave him another $10,000 in person when he went to Aruba, and then Vandersloot took him to this location, said that this is where you left the body. Of course, nothing was found. They don't believe that story at all. I think something more is going on with this. This is just a hunch. There seems to be a real reason. They don't really have to extradite him. He's, he's not going to, I don't think he'd get more charges or more prison time in the U.S. I don't know how that works, but he's going to be in prison in Peru for a long time. Why are they bringing him here? Is it so they can put him in a room with another inmate and he gets to talking and that inmate can tell him what happened to Natalie? I think there's, there's a bigger play going on here. Someone's playing 40 chess with this case. Hopefully it ends in resolution. Moving on to weird news. Here's the most fucked up thing I came across this week. Josef Fritzl has a new book out. Who's Josef Fritzl? You've heard of this case, I'm sure. But you might have forgotten his name. This was a few years ago. Fritzl lived in Austria... His daughter, Elizabeth, disappeared in 1984 at the age of 18. Elizabeth was found alive 24 years later in 2008 when Fritzl was arrested. Why was he arrested? Because Elizabeth was discovered in a secret cellar within Yosef's house. He had kept his daughter as a sex slave for 24 years. He has this book. The book was edited and released by his lawyer, Astrid Wagner. And before you get upset that she's releasing this book, I think there's, again, another bigger play here. She tells The Guardian that this book, written by 88-year-old Fritzl, quote, has failed... She, she's talking about him first before the book. Says, Fritzl, quote, has failed to recognize the dimension of his crime... They need to try to get to grips with their guilt. And this book that he's written will explain why he went astray to such extent. The title of the book is The Abysses of Yosef F. So I guess it's a peek into the mind of a person that would do something like that, which holds some sort of value, probably. The question is, where does the money go? Obviously, it should go to the victims. Um, weird thing is he thinks that this book is going to get him back in touch with his family. He doesn't understand why his wife won't talk to him. Probably has something to do with what he did to their daughter. In pop culture news this week, let's talk about the New York Times profile of Elizabeth Holmes. You know, Elizabeth Holmes. She was the CEO of Theranos, or, you know, the, the voice, the person behind it, right? This machine that she said she had invented that would, it would take a single drop of blood and run all these diagnosis uh, tests, diagnostic tests to figure out everything that could be wrong with you and screen for, you know, all sorts of diseases and cancer. And it, it would be the least invasive thing ever. And who wouldn't want that to happen? And it was heralded as this amazing new thing, and she was the youngest female CEO billionaire in history, and it was all a scam. 
you, she also did weird things like she dropped her voice and she spoke in that real low, like, uh, you know, almost like, uh, you know, the podcaster voices that you hear these days. But she had that fake low voice and that frazzled hair. And I get in trouble every time I talk about that hair. I'm a guy and I shouldn't be commenting on women's hair, but it always struck me as weird. Um, I, I don't know what to say about that, but in this profile, though, she's combed her hair. It's straight. It's suddenly straight, and she's talking in a real voice. She's dropped the act. She speaks in her real voice. She's a real person now. She's a mother, and um, it's, it's, it's weird for many reasons because, uh, as The Atlantic points out, and there's, there's a link to this, this article in the liner notes of this podcast, this is kind of how we got here to begin with. Elizabeth Holmes, she was a great figure, uh, you know, to put on the cover of magazines and newspapers, and everybody thought she was just this young woman who had a lot of moxie and was the next Steve Jobs, but it was all a lie. And she was spinning this tale, and they just kept covering her until somebody, until some scientist is like, hey, things aren't adding up here. And, and now it seems as we're kind of right back here. She's got this new story that she wants to tell, and the newspapers are letting her tell it. So it doesn't seem like we've changed much. She is facing an 11-year prison sentence, and she's due to start serving that very soon. And for what she did, I don't, you know, 11 years does seem kind of excessive compared to the crimes that other people are being sentenced, you know, less time in prison for. I don't necessarily think she should go away for that long, but um, I don't think making her out to be some sort of changed saint, I think it's a little early for that. So anyways, if you're interested, check out the profile and then check out the response by The Atlantic. Uh, I do want to, let's get to our, our bookshelf this week. And this week, we're, I want to highlight this new book called In Search of the Blonde Tigress, The Untold Story of Eleanor Jarman. Uh, new book out here. Here's the write-up. Beginning in 1933, Eleanor Jarman was sensationalized by the press as the blonde tigress and the most dangerous woman alive. But a closer look at her life shows that she was an otherwise ordinary woman who got caught up in a Chicago crime spree, then was convicted as an accomplice to murder and sent to prison. In 1940, Eleanor escaped and managed to live out her life as perhaps America's longest-running female fugitive. In Search of the Blonde Tigress sets the mystery and intrigue of this wanted woman into historical context. Sylvia Petham, the author documents her search for Eleanor's remains right up to a visit to her likely grave. I like stories like this. I like when people disappear and actually get away with it. And, and you know, they, they, they live their life as another person. I think that's fascinating. That's probably why I was drawn to the Maury Murray case. I know it's why I like Ted Conrad. And I'm going to have to read about Eleanor Jarman. So uh, check it out. That's my recommendation this week, and that's another episode of True Crime this week. It is the weekend now. It's Friday. That's always reason to celebrate. Just the fact that it's Friday. We survived another week. We're here in the weekend, and that means, in the words of the incomparable Murray Saul, the godfather of Cleveland, 
Radio. We got to, 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 get down, damn it. True Crime This Week is a fearful symmetry production. Photo and artwork are licensed through Shutterstock. If you like the cut of my jib, I have another podcast you might enjoy called The Philosophy of Crime, in which I attempt to solve the big questions behind our true crime obsession by looking to philosophy for answers. Thank you for listening. I'll see you next week. Sit, Brownie, sit. Good dog.